Welcome into the Esports Network podcast, where we talk about anything and everything esports related. I'm your host, Kevin Correa. Happy holiday season and Merry Christmas to all of you guys out there. Hope you guys are enjoying uh, the, the season so far. And, and here is a special gift to us on the network. Let's welcome in Cody Luongo. He's a PR associate with JSA and Partners and also a freelance journalist for Esports Insider, otherwise known as ESI. So, Cody, I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to come on the show and, and talk to us about whatever you're covering, whatever you're you're involved in in the esports industry. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's great to be here and appreciate you framing me up as a gift. That's a pretty generous way to, hey, to tee this off. Hey, so. man. Every, every guest is a gift. That's how it works on, on the network. You know, kind of, uh, yeah. I want everybody to feel special when they come on. And that's kind of uh, my, my, my bag to you. Why don't you feel welcome, you know, sit back, have your coffee, your water, whatever oh, it is. Yeah. Welcome. Because you're going to just talk about yourself. And it's one thing I've, I've learned through this show is that people love talking about themselves even if they say they don't like oh no i don't i'm too humble i don't talk about myself no i i, I tee up the questions yes, you do and yes, they knock do. out of the park all right mm-hmm. so <laughs> in case a little bit of, 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 of i guess deeper background on you pretty much you work with uh jsa and partners or clients uh, ranging from what vindex uh, electronic arts ea complexity you know a bunch of them and you're also a freelance journalist with uh esports insider kind of covering a little bit more of the gambling of the esports industry and, and, and you know a, a bunch of topics from there is that pretty much the the main gist of what you are right now yeah that's uh that's pretty spot on i'd say so yeah perfect and so i mean let's let's talk about the back how'd you get to that point pretty much you you've kind of you've worked prominently within the traditional and kind of new wave media spaces mm-hmm. where did the fascination with gaming and i guess the esports industry at large begin for you yeah that's a great question um you know i feel like a lot of us in the industry right now yourself included i'm sure you know i started off as a as a kind of a you know big gaming fan playing halo with friends like as a as a kid when it first came out and i think it was 2001 or 2002 um and then kind of the esports fascination for me started really early kind of rising up in that uh, mlg era if you would call it with halo and a lot of the stuff that they were pioneering at the time, like MLG.TV and being able to watch these streams. And it was so new and fascinating and just incredibly exciting that this existed, right? And that there, mm-hmm. it, it was so, it wasn't like it was today either, right? Where it's like you have Twitter and everything's kind of out in the open and there's people, you know, reporting and covering this stuff. It was kind of like in the shadows a little bit. You heard about like these kind of... Uh, closed door forums mm-hmm. where people would like organize these events and like it was like all this stuff was happening in the background if you know someone who could be in it that was really cool and then of course like m was doing the events which you know started with halo one and then um there was sort of this like public sort of view into it um when they started the streaming with halo 3 around like 2006 and 7 i believe uh, but yeah, man, just a, just a lifelong kind of fan of gaming, um, RuneScape, Call of Duty, War, War, World of Warcraft. Um, and then, you know, that for me kind of tapered off at some point, like between like high, end of high school and college. Um, and I was still playing games on the side, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't really paying attention to kind of what was happening in the industry. Um, and I remember this, like this very pivotal moment distinctly, which was, um, I saw David Walshy Walsh on his, on his Facebook, <laughs> uh, shared a, uh, a super smash bros documentary that probably a good amount of people I hope that are listening to this know about it. 
Um, I think it's just called the the Smash Brothers doc. Yes, I, I kind of forget. Are you familiar with yes, this? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think anybody who works in the scene has, has seen it, and I think I, I kind of thought, you know, was it five years ago or something like that? It must have been. Yeah, I think even maybe even longer than that, maybe like seven or eight years at this point. But long story short, I watched this documentary and I was blown away. I was like, no way this is happening at this scale. And then one of the most fascinating things for me, I think, was the um, kind of the depth of skill involved in Mm -hmm. a game like Super Smash Bros. Melee that played such a big part of my life. Um, that, you know, I played endlessly with friends and then hearing about the wave dash and L cancel and like the depth of these games and how good people could be in witnessing that. And I mean, it at that it was literally at that very point in college, I was in grad school at the time that I was like, OK, and I you know obviously started researching more into it. And I was like, this is going to be a career soon enough. This mm-hmm. is going to be a career path. And, you know, it's, it might sound cliche, but at that point on, I had pretty much kind of committed my life to getting involved in this industry in in one way or another. For sure. And so um, I think it's kind of everybody starts off at that point. They're like, this is something I didn't anticipate kind of blowing up like it did. And we kind of finagle our ways into the industry somehow, some way. And it, and it works out for a lot of us. And so you, you come from a more, I guess, a traditional kind of news coverage side of things, right? Where you kind of you've worked for television networks. You've worked for, uh, you know, I know Cumus Media was one of your your, your little things. So a little callback mm-hmm. from my my days here in Dallas as well. And so yeah. you kind of been all over the place from a traditional uh, side of things. And so you end up kind of writing for uh, uh, for Esports Insider. And so, I mean, that's kind of like a weird transition for you. How did that transition go from kind of traditional sports or not sports, traditional media in general to this esports industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like um, both those things kind of started at the same time. So in college, I studied television broadcast um, and, you know, was involved in like the school paper um and sort of things in in that vein and then um obviously like you said i went to i worked with i did an internship with cumulus like in radio so i've always been kind of intrigued with with this space and then i uh, held a position with uh, wptv channel 5 news in in west palm beach um as like a essentially like a video editor so Mm -hmm. i was part of that as well and and that was kind of at the same time that i was trying to break out into esports and i remember just kind of searching like every possible job forum i think it was like before the time of even uh hit marker jobs that had come out that i was able to find some estranged you know sort of opportunities and many of them were in writing um so i guess a little cool background story is i had um found a listing for this company called rotowire mm-hmm. and at the time you're probably familiar with this i was not um <laughs> is that rotowire is a provider to espn and yes. i guess this is kind of important as they, they asked me to cover some Super Smash Bros. tournaments. And I remember being in the news station, cutting live news for the television while the shows were running, and also having a second monitor um, streaming, um, was it CO Dreamland or some of the tournaments, <laughs> and writing the stories <laughs> in real time as it was happening. And then, um, you know, that that those stories that I that I wrote ended up getting published on ESPN. And that was a shocker for me. Um, and I went on to, to publish a couple more on, on that platform, like maybe like five ish years ago at, uh, at this point. But I guess to your, to your point, to your question, I think like this, you know, television live local news is very different from like the, the digital landscape and digital 
um, you know, publications and readership, um, you know, so you kind of get a feel for the way that, you know, either what these kind of reporters are interested in, what these news uh, sort of outlets like to cover. Um, and you just get like a really good sense of the overall kind of landscape at large. And that I think for me in, in my roles has equipped me well as both a journalist and then transitioning into PR. And so, I mean, obviously this, I think this is pre, this must've been pre ESPN esports days or very early days when you, when, when your articles are being published uh, through, through rotor wire. Cause I was just like, I, I remember reading articles like that before ESPN esports was like a bona fide thing. And so I'm just yeah. like, that's so funny. I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe I read an article too. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you like that and say like, <laughs> Oh, I definitely read an article, but uh, I'm sure it's something that I, I, a lot of us had come across. We didn't even think twice about it at the time, but now it's kind of like, that's interesting. It kind of transitioned that way, even, you know, five years ago or so. And so uh, journalism nowadays, I know you're kind of in the thick of it now, kind of on, on two sides of the same coin, if you will. I mean, a lot of days it's a very loose term, right? It's like, Anybody can really be a journalist. You can start up a blog and be a journalist. You can start up a podcast and claim to be a journalist. You can kind of be a social media talking head and have that journalism tag on you. I guess I, I, I want to have somebody like you on because I wanted to ask them, like, where do you, where do you draw the line and like what where that term can go for people? I know you kind mm-hmm. of went to school for it. Uh, people like like myself, obviously, I didn't I didn't study journalism. I, I studied communications and and a, a lot of other people kind of end up in the role of a journalist. But where do you draw the line as it relates to who is who who people should listen to and who people should really kind of be wary of? Yeah, that's an an excellent question and something that I think is super relevant right now. And um, I think I know who we're all talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to say his name. (laughs) And I think Jake Lucky is (laughs) freaking great. You know, like, here's the thing, like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, what your background is, um, whether you studied journalism or not. I didn't study journalism. Um, I would have to confirm this, but I don't believe Adam Fitch, who is a good friend of mine, studied journalism mm-hmm. and look what he's gone on to do. You know, he's definitely more uh, reputable in this space, um, you know, from that perspective than I am. So, yeah, man, I don't I don't discriminate. I think if you are in a position like, um, you know, Jake is in this example, mm-hmm. if you're getting fed news, it, tips, leads and stuff like that, and you can disseminate that information um, in whatever manner that is, whether in this case, it's like his, his YouTube videos that he does or, uh, tweets that go out. I mean, that's great. That's an incredibly valuable thing. We had, um, what was his name? Raj, uh, slasher, mm-hmm. um, who I, I haven't seen much on, on social in a, in a, in a long time, but you know, he kind of played that same ro- role, maybe in a slightly different way. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly I think a lot of value to have someone like that in the industry. Um, I don't know. To me, I wouldn't necessarily call them journalists, uh, maybe or reporters. But um, yeah, I mean, like I think what what they're doing, I'm, I'm not discriminating again. Like I think if they can provide useful information to people, then like who really cares what what they're called at the end of the day? No, for sure. Because like, and and Jake Lucky was in fact at the forefront of my mind when I when I when I like had this question come up. So I was like mm-hmm. thinking maybe that was something that people have you know strong opinions about. But I, I I see that you kind of align yourself more with my kind of thinking, right? Because there are people out there who have excellent 
YouTube documentaries who never went to film school, who never went to editing school, who never went to kind of these schools of thought where how to how do you formulate a documentary in a you know forty five minute format or so? And I mean, I sit there and I watch you know uh, uh, people make their own Smash Brothers documentaries and covering something insane like that. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of something that I've thought about as well. And and I know for you, you've been obviously you've been writing. Uh, a lot for esports insider as a phrase a freelance uh, journalist kind of what four years now coming up on four years yes sir. i mean four year anniversary in january that's insane I, I can't even i mean i'm sure it's kind of not not the longest tenured position you've, you've had or, or is it that might be four years is, is pretty long i guess right so that's i'm assuming it has to be the longest one you've had so it far is, it is actually i don't stay in, in one place too too long historically um so yeah <laughs> Uh, so, so t- talk to you. What makes them a great place to kind of publish your thoughts and your findings, and and have them kind of come back to you and, and go back to the well, uh, proverbially speaking, and and get more more articles out? What, what what makes them a great place to go to? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Esports Insider was one of the first uh, publications to cover you know the business side of esports specifically in the industry, um, along with um, the Esports Observer, obviously. So it was kind of them two for a while leading the charge and. That company has changed a lot in the mm-hmm. last four years. Like I, I think it had been maybe up and running for maybe a year and a half or so. Uh, don't quote me on that, but um, you know it was probably up for about a year and a half before uh, I started four years ago. So it's still very early days, um, and uh, the team there is just is just awesome. Sam Cook, who's kind of a pretty central figure in the industry, the managing director over there, a great friend of mine, great mentor, um, you know, has been someone that kind of took me in uh, when it was early days for myself as well as a writer and helped, you know, coach me and, and push me to do more sophisticated pieces and work um, and just like an overall receptiveness to, you know, kind of my and other journalists and reporters story ideas. and. Um, you know, flexibility to be able to come to the table to something that's maybe a little out of our jurisdiction, like uh, to comment on our social channels or other Mm -hmm. digital channels and say, hey, I think this would look better like this. So it's a pretty free, open, like collaborative environment in that sense. Um, And they it's also an international publication based in the UK and we have writers from all over. So um, it reaches a pretty, you know, far reaching audience uh, on an international slash global kind of scale. Um, and yeah, I just love the guys. I mean, I've met like some of the the people like Adam Fitch, Sam, a number of others, Mitch Reams, uh, who used to host this yep. Ironically podcast. <laughs> and, you know, you know, these are these are great guys um, and just people that I'm happy to call like lifelong friends from from that experience there. Yeah, just just to peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, when I do, I do the other show, the Esports Minute. Obviously, we update every you know, every week. We, we post updates about the industry at large and kind of whatever's happening, whether it's events, you know, company moves, whether it's whatever happening. It's kind of a big move, big wave in the industry. We kind of cover. I always go through like a list of of websites to go through for for top headlines of the day. Esports Insider is, is one of them. You know, next to, of course, I always go first. I go, got to go to the the Esports Network team here and I ask them what's going on. And they give me a headline or two. I publish that and on. The, on our little podcast and then I go down down the way so esports insider dot esports uh, uh, really whatever upcomer I guess is the other one that people are, are going mm-hmm. to nowadays all that are, is all used to kind of put together information and and, and kind of uh, through press releases as well and I, we, we publish the esports minute like that but so 
thanks to people like you, I get to have some kind of content to post on the esports minute. So pretty much I always try to make sure I always, uh, you know, uh, have the articles linked that I, that I use if I use any, any at all. And kind of, so thanks to you, of course, uh, I can't thank you enough for kind of helping me do my job as well. <laughs> I appreciate it. I am but a drop in the bucket to the kind of fantastic work that, you know, these esports and game reporters are, are doing these days. So I would my scope with ESI is, is very limited these days. Um, so yeah, cheers to everyone else that's kind of on the scene reporting and breaking these stories. You know, again, huge shout out to Adam. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the likes of like Jacob Wolf, uh, Hunter Cook, a lot of these guys, you know, even Jake Lucky, if you want to throw his hat in there and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. definitely more props should go should go to those guys rightfully just a quick another kind of feel back behind the curtain we had we had hunter cook on a few weeks ago and he just lambasted riot games for about an hour solid on it on the podcast i loved it i kept it i, I was like let's keep it going let's 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 Great. get angry journalists out there of course and so you, you mentioned uh they kind of uh, it's a little bit more limited now with esi uh i'm not sure if it's thanks to or, or because of kind of you moved towards working with jsa and partners i mean how is that how has that been for you exactly? I know it's kind of a, a tough corner to be in, right? You kind of are a journalist on one end and on the un- other end, you're kind of interacting with journalists to kind of help your clients out and, and you know, kind of disseminate information in, in a different way. How has that perspective been for you? And ha- have you seen that kind of, I w- I'm not going to say conflict because this isn't a conflict. It's kind of like a, a weird dance, if you will, mm-hmm. between two different positions. How has that been going for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm happy to speak on this and help dispel, um, sort of my position right now because I, I understand obviously it's a little bit sensitive working for a PR agency and also uh, freelancing for another a um, you know publication especially like e- Esports Insider which is kind of directly involved with with the work that I do at JSA um, you know you really just I, I, I approached this in a very I think careful and respectable manner when I first started and it's all it's all based on sort of my love and passion for writing like I just want to write and talk about esports and stories like that's it at a base level um so you know i've set very gone on and set like very clear sort of boundaries with the leadership on both sides about moving forward and doing with this and then the work that i do with esi is like in a very uh limited and reduced kind of capacity so it's only minimal sort of work for them and just straightforward covering the news and 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 things of that nature so yeah no, I got you. And it's, it's kind of a, an interesting role that not many people have found themselves on. So you end up being on you know two sides of the same coin almost. And it's a different perspective. And so I'm sure people always have like kind of questions. And when that comes up, but that's I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you on to kind of dispel that 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 uh the the mist the mysticism if you will surrounding it and so obviously uh i want to talk a little bit more about about your role with jsa and kind of what public relations and esports that relationship has, has looked like for the past years because you've kind of been at the forefront of it now uh and we kind of see that esports has been maturing over the past i'd say what five-ish years and now mm-hmm. we're seeing it become more of a bigger you know kind of real bona fide industry and obviously there's a need for some kind of image control and information uh, control. What in your opinion has kind of highlighted this need for esports uh, companies to need more of uh, some kind of PR representation? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Kevin. So I think I would kind of preface this by saying, you know, five, six years ago, a lot of the top esports companies and brands did not have any PR representation. Mm-hmm. And there are a select few of, of 
again, top global brands that still don't. Uh, I won't name names, but you'd probably be shocked to think that some of these companies uh, don't have an in-house publicist or a PR agency um, helping them. You know, especially in the last two years with the pandemic and the highlight on on sort of esports and gaming, you know, there has just been sort of this swath and really a, a massive increase uh, in public interest in these companies and what they're doing and what they're actually worth. Um, you know, and that is kind of, you know, put out the calling for, you know, accurate and really good reporting on these companies, not only from endemics, but from the likes of, you know, Washington Post with Launcher and New York mm-hmm. Times, um, who just hired a games writer and, you know, all these companies to be able to kind of to your kind of analogy, peel back the curtain a little bit and give insight into um, the esports industry and these companies, you know, and I don't think we need things like I remember a Forbes article um, that uh, put out some maybe uh, shoddy uh, valuations on esports companies Mm -hmm. that uh, kicked up quite some controversy. I don't think we need things like that. I think you do need kind of really good public relations representations to be able to kind of disseminate these uh this information to the public in a way and show what the kind of the inner workings of these companies look like right Mm -hmm. um you know i think it's it's super important at the end of the day yeah so i think it's i think it's super telling nowadays when we're seeing companies like you mentioned like forbes like new york times no not forbes forget them but like like washington post with launcher is what i meant to say and so Mm. i I kind of took it a little bit more seriously when here in dallas we had the morning news hire their first like full-time esports reporter the dallas morning news of course has been you know a tradition they've been you know great with their sports coverage they've been you know they've had great names from uh, from uh from across the journalism sphere kind of run through their halls and so to see them add in like a real full-time esports reporter going to events talking to uh local teams here or even you know teams across the country kind of it, it kind of cemented it for me like okay this is something that a lot more companies media companies are looking into that aren't you know not just startups like you see with uh that are esports focused but now these are these these are companies branching out into esports and so the need for public relations is probably the highest it's ever been for a lot of these companies kind of coming up a lot of these esports companies also Mm -hmm. they're, they're startups they kind of kind of need some kind of image control in the first place and so you know back then it used to be what it used to be teens with controllers going into mlg competitions but now it's like this is a billion dollar industry you have hundreds of investors having real stake in the growth i mean how has the role of PR expanded in this sense because you're not just serving, you know, these uh, CEOs and games companies. You're now serving kind of these investors have a, who have a vested interest in this and, the, and these shareholders. You kind of help distribute this information, and it kind of helps also, you know, obviously bring confidence to the company, and then also it kind of helps uh, assuage fans, if you will, who are worried about a bigger mm-hmm. company taking over, a bigger nameless corporation, if you will, taking over. How has the role yeah. of PR kind of changed since you've seen it or since you've in- interacted with it through? days at ESI and now at JSA. Yeah, well, I mean, so, you know, PR representation is a lot more prevalent these days, definitely. I mean, like I was saying before, like four or five years ago, like when I began reporting, there wasn't, you know, we weren't receiving a lot of pitches from these companies, you know, and a lot of times and sometimes we still, you know, people, this is maybe a joke amongst journalists, but you have to write a whole story from a tweet, you know what I mean? And and we're out there like uh, as reporters, like trying to reach out like where can i get more information on this what is this partnership about you know so 
you know, not only in the endemic space, but to my earlier point, there's just this massive public interest uh, to know about this industry. And it's like you said, it's a very mature industry at this point, or it's matured greatly, rather, I should say, in the last 10 years or so. Um, and it's certainly growing in that in that trajectory at a, at a quick pace. Uh, but of course, like, again, to your point, like, there's investors, there's kind of, you know, real stake in this in this growth. Um, so just like not having in any insight into these companies, is just not, it's not going to fly anymore. You right. know what I mean? And, and with the likes of phase clan going public, um, game square acquiring complexity, which is a public company, um, few others, I can't really remember off the top of my head, but you know, it's, it, this, this is very much needed. Like it's, it's very important to be able to talk about these companies in the news just for, for stakeholders, for, you know, fans of the industry to kind of uplift it. You know what I mean? Like uh, to be able to have all that information and content out there, it, it helps, you know, validate the point that this is an industry that is very much here to stay and it's growing fast. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. imagine a world where um, you weren't reading Esports Insider. You weren't hearing about the massive investments that are being put into the industry and these massive deals with, you know, you know, the non-endemics, especially, right? Like ESPN um, and all these others that are getting involved. Like if you didn't know about that, how would you know that, you know, the industry is growing or should be, you know, paid attention to? Um, so I guess that's kind of like a very basic answer in some ways, right? Like no, why yeah. you'd want news and PR to be involved. But yeah, man, I mean, it's just growing fast and it's, you know, every every kind of major company or even startups alike, it's it's very important to invest, especially if the younger the younger startups that are doing really cool things. You know what I mean? If there's, I was at UGC for a while, and that's mm-hmm. where I um, kind of started dabbling in PR and kind of teaching myself. And it was like, I wish I look back and I wish I knew what I did now then, uh, <laughs> because it's like we were doing all these cool things, but we weren't talking about them to press, so no one knew about them. Right. And I think that's kind of applicable to to every esports company out there right now. For sure. And so in in an industry where imaging and branding is kind of a a huge deal, I don't know if it's the the entire deal, but it's a pretty big deal to, you know, appeal to oncoming investors, to newer fans. It kind of kind of helps if you have a really good PR company at your at your backside, kind of helping you and supporting you Mm -hmm. a little bit. So uh, I'm assuming, you know, that PR for gaming for media and for esports organizations, it's pretty much no different than, you know, PR for a regular sports team or, you know, your traditional large corporation, right? Yeah, this is an amazing question. I'm happy to answer. So it's (laughs) it's very similar in like a foundational kind of way in terms of like, you know, what makes a good pitch, like, you know, compiling media lists, like all the work that an agency or publicist does normally is, is the same. Um, but when it comes to gaming and esports, um, that sort of nuanced knowledge of the industry, um, in, in all its constituents and different games and communities and, I mean, it's kind of a massive, it's a, it's a massive burden to 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 learn it all mm-hmm. um one of the good examples that i always think of is like you know the top you know whatever it's espn or a top sort of sports publication they have dedicated beat reporters for hockey for soccer for football and you know it's like 
you wouldn't expect one of those reporters to be able to know the ins and outs of every single uh, traditional sport as they would in esports, right? So it's like a, they're not going to know an esports reporter. There are beat reporters, I guess is what I'm getting to, yeah. that cover League of Legends specifically, that cover, um, you know, Halo specifically. Um, so you have to be very targeted in that way. And just kind of knowing the ins and outs of the industry is is incredibly helpful in your outreach effort. Um, you know, we work with kind of non-endemic comms people a lot and they are, you know, if you don't know this industry, it's, you can get lost in it very easily. And you and I might think about like uh, a story that might make sense to, to one person, but they wouldn't know like really who to, who to go with, with, uh, that content that they're trying to pitch out, if that makes sense. No, for sure. And, and so I know you kind of, you're coming from mostly, a gaming background as well because you kind of you grew up a gamer like you said you 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 grew up around uh the development of of, of esi and you kind of helped to help take them off the ground as a freelancer how has that kind of background of yours helped your role your current role with jsa has it kind of been uh, an interesting uh i guess not now i won't say transition uh, interesting kind of uh portrayal that you've seen for esports within uh, behind closed doors or have you kind of had to explain something to an older person if you will i mean i i don't want to like yes. uh, i don't want to put anybody <laughs> under the bus of course but i'm sure at some point you've had you come across a situation where your experience proved really valuable right yeah no 100 percent um geez where do i start yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah like and i think this ties into the, your last question a little bit like we've been in this so long just as like fans right like we just play these games but like that's enough to give us the understanding to know about this industry to know you know what's relevant to what audience um in, in the different communities like what what's going to spark interest in call of duty in that community what's going to spark interest in the halo community what's relevant to these people right so that that baseline understanding is is essential to esports and gaming pr uh, i mean without that it's it's going to be a really rough sort of uh sort of take off if you mm -hmm. will if you're a publicist um yeah so and to your other point you know at coming from a journalist background like for the longest time you know i was receiving pitches i was writing on stories but i had no idea sort of the the work and effort and time that would go into kind of deciphering these these angles and writing these these pitches and the press releases and everything you, know, you don't really see like the tactic and strategy behind it um but you know it's it's definitely helpful coming from a reporter background i think you know not necessarily purely in esports and gaming um media but you know certainly any other industry whether it's sports or tech or entertainment just knowing what's like what's interesting and what's not you know mm -hmm. what i mean i think um especially like working with an agency you have to manage expectations a lot and you have to let like key stakeholders at the company know like you know this actually isn't interesting or this is great. You know, sometimes you have to highlight something like, wait, stop. Can you say that again for me? Because this is like a great story that we have on our hands. So, you know, just having a background in, in storytelling and writing and, you know, certainly on like the feature side when, when, you know, myself and others write, write long form pieces. Um, it's, in, it's incredibly helpful for, for a number of reasons. That's good. That's good. So I'm sure you brought something to the table with JSA. And what was something that surprised you about working on that other half of, of, of the of the coin, if you will? What was something that kind of like, oh, I didn't realize this was something that 
PR representatives had to think about it and realize this was something that agencies have to really consider when they go you know, either to work with a client or where they when they go to to, to you know uh, uh, put out a pitch somewhere. What was something that you kind of uh, didn't think about that now you're like, wow, that's that's super interesting that now that that's come up more than I would think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have probably countless stories, but I touch on one incident. I remember not incident, but you know one one topic. So. Again, like to give that context, I picked up PR at UGC and I was sort of teaching myself from what I knew as a reporter, how to like write a press release. You know, I could look back at old pitches and, and releases and be like, OK, this is how you write it. This makes it good, whatever. Um, so I had that foundation to start. And then I started contracting with with JSA, which inevitably turned into this full time opportunity. But um the it really was kevin the mm. kind of caliber of, of work um that goes into all these projects that you just don't see in the back end so one of the things that i remember doing was spending like countless hours writing a, a pitch for some sort of evergreen story and i mean like hours and hours oh, wow. and hours <laughs> and like redoing it <laughs> and getting told like this is not right i mean obviously coming in into it from just a background of, you know, my, my sort of knowledge of PR at that stage was not that deep, but, um, you know, JSA kind of holds himself to a high standard and caliber. So, you know, I looked at that, like, man, like some of the pitches that I was receiving as a journalist, you know, way back, someone probably, <laughs> I didn't realize that someone was spending, you know, multiple hours writing like a super carefully, uh, you know, made pitch for me. You know what I mean? And just being selective with the reporters, looking back into their history. What do they talk about? Reviewing their Twitter and things like that. I mean, uh, it sounds a little stalkerish now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just, it's our work. It's it's what we do. And, um, you know, the, the strategy between behind, like, when you would announce something, how you're positioning something, the messaging um, that you're including, um, you know, the cadence of announcements and stories that you would put out, um, trend jacking, right? So like tapping into a, a, a trend that's happening in the industry or elsewhere to get your sort of company out there and in, in the news. I mean, it's, it's incredibly interesting. It's incredibly challenging. And I think, um, you know, just coming from that news background, I love that fast paced environment and esports especially is like that. <laughs> Uh, on hyperspeed with like a double shot of espresso and Red Bull. Yep. Um, you know, so that sort of pace is, is, is challenging, but very, very rewarding. Man, that's just, it's crazy. You kind of got, you, you guys do so much research going into a pitch or, or whatever, really, when, when something comes your way, you're just like, let's spend about, you know, a good uh, half a work day on this at least. And we'll, we'll just see what we can do. <laughs> and you kind of researching the, you know, not just reporters, but their backgrounds, the, the companies they work with, the companies involved in a pitch. It's, it's like, it's a whole mishmash of, of, of events you have to go through to kind of figure out whether this is the right fit or not, or whether this is the right story or, or the right pitch. It's a lot of things that you mentioned that I didn't even really think about on my end of things. I didn't realize that, and that's how much work went into it. So now I, I think twice, I'll think twice. So I send you an, an email be like, man, I probably should be, be like the most concise I can be that way. He's not like researching some other nonsense for the next few hours, but uh, no. <laughs> we have a good, good casual relationship. Yeah. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I guess what's something that now, right? You have the, the journalism experience, you have the PR experience. What's something that now you have to keep constantly in the back of your head, whether you're working in either role? What's something you're just like, man, 
Now I have to keep this one, you know, this this one piece of advice, no matter what I'm working on, to about both of these positions, if you will. Uh, I'm very scared all the time. <laughs> you know, no, but uh, no, seriously, like, um, you know, PR, it's like there's sometimes it only feels like there's margin for error. I mean, you can certainly do great work on announcements, but mm-hmm. um, I feel like your work is measured sometimes in, you know, how little errors you have. Yeah. Right. So mistakes are very bad <laughs> for us. Um, you know, not necessarily speaking to, to like crisis comm situations, but it's just to be like, you know, very, very well measured, professional, super duper organized and in, in, in top of, uh, of things. I mean, just in general, like managing the full time work uh, with JSA. And then like, again, I'm only probably doing like two or three or four hours of work at, at ESI um, a month. But, uh, you know, just to be you know, sharp, very sharply organized and, and t- take a lot of notes. I have a live, a whiteboard here that's packed full of, of <laughs> bullet points, you know? So, um, yeah, just to be kind of on top of stuff on a, on a regular basis and, and keep managed and under control because you can kind of lose control fast with how things come down the pipe, um, in both, on both sides of the coin. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 um, I'm sure you have the, the, the yarn kind of connecting stories on the whiteboard and kind of going through your own, what was like the, like the PI mindset of keeping everything organized, but kind of, it's a, it's a messy organized. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, I, have a, I have a cork board with reporters on it and, uh, uh thumbtacks and <laughs> string. <laughs> There's a, there's a picture of Adam Fitch on the wall. You still darts at it whenever you're mad at somebody. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, well, you, sometimes you got to get the stress out one way or another. And so um, I, I kind of want to cap things off now a little bit talking about the work you've done with ESI for four years. I feel like it's a, it's a pretty big thing to leave out there just not to discuss at all. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, through through your four years at ESI, you kind of written a lot about esports gambling, esports betting, its growth, the legal hurdles, the legal successes that it's mm-hmm. had. Um, of course, here in the States and probably internationally as well. What are some some things to keep an eye out for, whether it's uh, a company, whether it's um, a legal battle that's looming, whether it's something that maybe we as as you know commentators need to keep an eye on in the coming years? Because I feel mm-hmm. like 2020 or 2020 will be like a very important decade for esports, And I think at the forefront of it has to be esports betting and gambling. Cause we're seeing now sports betting and gambling being legalized very slowly, but yeah. you know, very surely it's, it's coming through the States and it will be probably, I think by 20, I think the latest estimate I saw was like 2028 that sports betting and gambling will be fully, fully legalized within at least the 48 contiguous States. And so that's something that I, I kind of keep an eye mm-hmm. on for esports as well. Cause I know kind of where sports goes, esports is sure to follow. Follow. And so I'm sure what's something that you were looking at for as it relates to esports betting and gambling? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like to your point of the repeal of PASPA and the legalization of sports betting, it's, it's definitely going to be this decade is going to be incredibly important for it. But from like kind of a foundational building sort of standpoint um i guess just to give like a little more context for sort of you and your listeners as well like in my in my search of esports jobs when i was a bright-eyed little you know college student <laughs> working at the news station um i had come across one with cantina media and they had tasked me to uh write at the write about stories and news at the intersection of esports and gambling and i'm mm-hmm. just gonna sort of preface this by saying that i initially thought for 
probably probably an embarrassing amount of time that skin gambling was betting on the color of skins that people were <laughs> were, were, were wearing in Counter-Strike. Um, but so that was a that was a tough industry to kind of like crack and get to know of with no background or knowledge of of you know gambling and then this like kind of tiny niche of it being esports. So yeah, I spent four years as like sort of this uh, beat unofficial beat reporter for for ESI covering the gambling uh, escape for them, and then wrote the ESI gambling report, which was a column that went out weekly, and then. Uh, tapered off to like once a month or so and did a lot of like really great pieces that I'm proud of and think shined a a lot of light on this uh, industry. Um, But kind of like to get back to your question, I mean, yeah, it's it's a very exciting time, I think, with uh, sports betting getting legalized. I was having a conversation with a with a friend um, yesterday about like the U.S. market specifically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's still very much early days, obviously. You know, we're kind of sitting there asking ourselves, like, well, you know, FanDuel is legal in Connecticut, where I live. Mm. Um, so you can bet on sports. And they also, if if you happen to see this, I did a story on Connecticut's uh, legal sports betting legislature. Uh, welcome. It was kind of like a blanket approval for esports, which we don't see often. So in theory, right, FanDuel or DraftKings could offer spreads on esports, but they don't. Right. right. So, you know, my friend and I are asking that when is the is the correct time? Like when when can we be able to to wager on esports in the US and our states? Um, you know, and there's that conversation is is very hairy, right? There's yeah. so many things. I mean, these kind of stakeholders and books are very much prioritizing national partnerships with the MLB, the NFL, you know, these things that are well established and making them, you know, a lot of money. <laughs> um, and so they're prioritizing that. There's obviously sort of the gray regulation across the state by state. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, yeah, the, the U.S. legalizes sports betting on a state by state basis and all the legislature is different, right? Yes. So in Connecticut, it's a blanket approval. In New Jersey, they recently amended it to be a blanket approval with the contingency that you can only... Um, win up to $500, right? So it's a, it's really different. But then if you think about that, the, the kind of main point as well is that, um, you know, it's it's not really worth it for them yet to be able to invest all this money in not only getting those products up on their, on their platforms for esports and like the pricing and everything, but also to market to those audiences, right? Like mm-hmm. to... Um, you know, they very much understand how to reach the traditional sports audience with these partnerships, these advertisements that you now see everywhere. And if you don't, you absolutely will when they're legal yes. in your state. Uh, they are relentless. Um, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, it's just it's just not worth it for them yet, especially when you again, you think of New Jersey where it's like, how much money can I really make here? But then sort of the the hopeful point is that. Um, you know, with these approvals and events and things that regulators are letting happen across the state with esports events and wagering, um, they're, they're able to activate sort of a, even if it's a small audience, they're able to activate like a handful of, um, of people through these, uh, through these esports wagering events. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a pretty meaningful win for them if you think about it, right? Because you get, you start to see the potential. Um, you get to these books and sports books, et cetera, start to have a little bit more experience. They're going to get to get their feet wet. Um, you know, 
in 10, 20 years from now, who knows what it's it's going to look like, right? But I mean, esports is is global. It's growing uh, year by year. So eventually, I think it will be you know kind of a an internationally leading category for for sports books. For sure. And so I know I've been following along with your reporting on, I think, the Nevada Gaming Control Board's uh, esports developments. I know they've had their own little mm-hmm. esports technical advisory committee that they kind of look to for advice and look to for, for their own kind of things. And so that's kind of what I've been keeping my eye on. And so I think once once you see it happen in like Vegas, Atlantic City, a few of the, you know, the, the, the bigger sports books, if you will, that kind of start going into esports to be like, all right, now, now, now things are going to get going. Now things are going to kick off. And so, uh, what is something that you want to see out of this, uh, esports betting, uh, these esports betting industries, if you will? What is something that you're like, man, like it, we're only a few years away. I want to see it on FanDuel. I want to see it on whatever. Where, where do you want to, what do you want to see out of this sector? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I want to see it on FanDuel really bad. <laughs> I'm tired of losing money on, on basketball and other stuff. <laughs> Same. <laughs> you know, I know esports a little better, I, I'd like to think. Um, but uh, I, I truly do not gamble as much as people like to joke about and think. <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would like to see these. I would like to see it offered, right? Like how cool would it be to be at a, at a sports book or casino and have a, a Counter-Strike match on the screen and be able to put money down on it? I mean, that to me is like so, so exciting. So, mm-hmm. you know, just really the buy-in from like the key stakeholders in the industry and being able to do a lot of this stuff. Um, I think it was earlier this week, Esports Entertainment Group announced a partnership with Hard Rock uh, Casino in Atlantic City. And they're doing a 256-person tournament there um, where uh, players can can bet against each other in, like, a skill-based uh, sort of fashion. Yep. I think that's really interesting, uh, different than, you know, betting via sportsbook. But, um, you know, I think the skill-based area is really cool if that can be developed more. I know there's been, like, some interesting applications online with, like, companies like Unicorn that you could play a game. This was never legal in um, right in Connecticut where I was based, but you could play a game of Fortnite and bet money against yourself. And then using the game PI, you could get paid out for wins or for kills or whatever the sort of um, lines that they were offering. And that's super duper cool for me, in my opinion, rather. Um, So yeah, just, just more buy-in in general and to, to see more of these options available and to see it like in person at the casinos too. For sure, for sure. And so it's, it's, it's something uh, we need to see a little bit more of, right? A little bit more traditional buying and hopefully we'll see in the coming decade. And I know through your work with JSA and through your your publications on ESI, things will kind of get moving a little bit more, even if it's just little tiny inches, little centimeters, things are moving in that direction. And so we'll see we'll see progress soon enough. And so, uh, Cody, I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. You've been awesome. You've been super insightful. You've been, uh, I mean, this, this, the, the quintessential guest. Let's be real here. You, you truly are my Christmas gift for this season. Thank you so much <laughs> you tell that to every every guest you have coming along the holiday season do you i'm not gonna <laughs> deny that so uh, i'm just gonna completely <laughs> deflect against it and say you can follow cody at luongo underscore pro on twitter at jsa partners at esports insider of course you can catch all the latest stuff th- that they're doing on on twitter there as well and so cody uh, again you've been an awesome guest uh, come come back on let's let's talk some more about esports gambling let's talk some more about uh, our woes yeah. when it comes to fan duel bets because we're both awful at it apparently i'm glad it's, it's a 
share a brother in that sense. So thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate your time. And, and man, I can't wait to be back on. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. And last thing to, to plug yeah. on our side, we are hiring in, in esports and PR pro at JSA. Oh. So if you're listening to this, you got experience as a, as a comms pro, PR pro, you know esports, you know gaming, you got a serious interest in it. And even uh, you could apply on our site, jsapartners.co. That's my plug. Thank you so much, Kevin. We'll link to it in the podcast description. Just make sure everybody out there. So if you're looking for a job in eSports, I I think uh, one of our old uh, friends from Envy, Justin Rojas, said, it is not hard to find work in eSports. It may be hard to find a sustainable career in eSports, but it's not hard to find jobs in eSports. So this is one of those opportunities popping up right now. We'll link to it in the podcast description below. So thanks to Cody right there for, for popping it in and, of course, making it all happen. So, of course, he's Cody Longo, Senior PR Associate over at JSA and Partners, freelance journalist for eSports Insider. And I'm Kevin Correa, right here on the Esports Network Podcast.